Hey everybody, welcome. My name's Aisha and this is Pod Clubhouse Presents, podcast of the Ancient Dawn, a Lovecraft Country podcast. I'm so excited to introduce to you this amazing group that we've put together to talk about Lovecraft Country on HBO, produced, directed by Misha Green, Jordan Peele, and J.J. Abrams. Is that right, guys? That's right. Right. So to my left, I want to introduce to you guys, new to the clubhouse, Sean Martin. How you doing, Sean? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm glad you could be here. Thank you. Also... Ashley, not new to the clubhouse. Me and hey, Ashley hey. have been doing some podcasts together for a long time, and we um, love talking with each other and friends outside of the podcast world, too. So thanks, Ashley, for coming. For sure. And finally, we have Kenny from Ghost Planet. Hey, Kenny. Hey, how you doing? Good to be here. Welcome, welcome. So episode one is called Sundown, and we are excited to jump right in. Kenny, tell us how excited you were about Lovecraft. Oh, boy. All right. So- I'll try to be brief. Um, basically, I've been a Lovecraft fan for a good 10 or 15 years now. Um, I love Lovecraft about as much as I love Lord of the Rings. Um, that's a lot of love. Um, I've had a running subscription to the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Literary Podcast for a very long time and um, have been bugging those guys to let me read a story or two for them <laughs> if I can get around to it. I've also done some Lovecraft stories that are out there on the Internet right now, as a Toth and a couple of other old Lovecraft tales that I narrated and put some music to are floating around. So hearing about Lovecraft Country, knowing that Jordan Peele was involved after his fantastic track record with the two great films that he has out, um, it was really a no-brainer to want to get involved and get to see it, get to talk about it. I I wouldn't have have missed it for the world, really. Sounds like you are just like, just jump, just chomping at the bit to get involved. So I'm excited that you're here. That's great. Sean, how do you feel about this whole series? Well, I'm excited. I mean, there's a couple of different aspects. So much as Kenny loves Lovecraft, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. He was very mm-hmm. much influenced by Lovecraft. It's, it comes through in a lot of his stories. And he has uh, created fictional locations for a lot of his books the way Lovecraft did, or the way, at least the way I understand Lovecraft did. I'm not as much of an expert as Kenny on that. But he was the introduction for me as to those Lovecraftian overtones in the story. So when I saw the name of the the show and a little bit blurb about it, I thought, oh, this sounds really intriguing to me. And then when I found out there was also the aspect of it taking place in the 1950s in the Jim Crow South, and I thought, wow, that's very different. Uh, To me, that's a little bit, putting those two genres together is a little bit like making a peanut butter and tuna sandwich. I mean, they (laughs) seem like two genres that don't really go together, but I'm intrigued to see, especially given, like we said, who's behind this series, I'm excited to see how they were going to put it together. I agree, too. I was we we both watched this together, you know, full disclosure. We both watched the show together and we were like, what in the world? I for me, I was like, wow, this is very interesting and crazy at the same time. Ashley, what did you do? You have any initial thoughts yourself? Yeah. So I come to Lovecraft. I'm brand new to Lovecraft stories. And and particularly, I was intrigued by Matt Ruff and, and the text that preceded the, the show. And when I saw that Jordan Peele was on this, I immediately and I saw the um, I think I saw the preview for the show back in maybe oh gosh, back in May, perhaps. I can't remember exactly, but immediately I recognized it as something that Jordan Peele was a part of. And I really love how he 
is telling horror stories and and bringing a genre to life that often isn't meant for Black folks. Mm-hmm. And and when I found out that Matt Ruff was the author of the book, I started looking it up and I'm like, oh, is it a, is it a Black author? And as soon as I noticed that it was a white man who wrote the story, I became fascinated with like how well he tells the story of Black Americans during the Jim Crow era and whether it's like accurate. So I'm, I'm really wondering you know, before, even before watching the show, how well that story is, is told and, and is it really authentic and, and nuanced enough? And so I'm really watching closely because I'm excited that Jordan Peele's on the show and, and he's bringing, he's helping bring this to life. Agreed. I get it. Y'all just jump right in. I mean, this is not like an interview <laughs> or anything. Let's just jump right in. Everybody jump right in. Tell me, you know, let's, let's start on, and any themes that we might just want to just tackle on this show and talk about. I mean, what just struck you? Let's, you you know, let's get into it. Let's you guys jump in and start start the discussion. I, this is just definitely not an interview. We want our listeners to be engaged and feel like the thoughts that are running through their heads are the same thoughts that are running through our heads. So jump in, y'all. This setting, a town in New England. <laughs> <laughs> get it, Kenny. Go. Let's go. Let's go. The uh, history. Right. Ends right. uh, a, a classic story. Go ahead. <laughs> so Atticus, like, I mean, let's talk about Atticus. The name itself really brings me back to reading To Kill a Mockingbird with mm-hmm. Atticus Finch as the main character. And I found it fascinating that um, this is the, the main character's name. And so I'm really attached to that name already, drawn to it. And, and already as a former English teacher, my spidey senses in terms of literature are tingling. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, okay, there's some connections here. The name Lovecraft stood out to me because of H.P. Lovecraft. I saw some connections between when Atticus or Tick for sure, I think his name, his nickname is Tick, right? In the right. show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw some interesting connections between when he was on the bus and he was describing the books that he was reading and, and also walking with the woman on the road and discussing how he fell in love with like the author and the story. And he could separate sort of the racist author from the art form or the, or the literature. And it was fascinating to me because H.P. Lovecraft was rabidly racist. Like he was extremely racist, but his work is so loved and and so like respected and or, or highly regarded in terms of like weird science fiction. So I found that to be interesting in that um, comparison. And so I, I continue to ask myself like, okay, I've read J.K. Rowling and Dr. Seuss and they have, they're problematic as well in many ways. So I'm just interested to really think about that, especially from an educator standpoint. I agree with everything you just said. I saw those same parallels. And as someone who enjoyed To Kill a Mockingbird too, um, I also really appreciated that Tick, which is a cool nickname for Atticus, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yes, Good job yes. with that. Right. Good job <laughs> with that. Because that, that could have been really not cool. And they made that work. Is the untold story of a Black or African-American guy who likes science fiction and pulp and these nerdy, not often considered mainstream things. Typically, when you when you grew up liking Lovecraft, it's sort of like growing up liking Edgar Allan Poe. You know, you sort of fall into a box of, oh, that's the the, the weird kid who likes reading about uh, aliens and tentacles and other worlds. And there was a part of me that really, really enjoyed hearing Atticus and Uncle George talk so casually and so openly about Lovecraft about the lore of Lovecraft, about his stories, like they were real. That's so cool because when you read like the Dunwich Horror, like when, when you read any Lovecraft story, really, you get this this sense that he really did love England and old England mm. in particular. 
And that comes across so much in his readings and, and people who travel and who travel to Arkham and Innsmouth and, and, and these places, they're aware that these areas have history. You don't go to Innsmouth because people tend not to come back because nothing good really happens there. You don't go to Dunwich because that's where the Dunwich horror happened. You know, th- these are things that people in his stories understand. And to have a, a story like Lovecraft Country that's so realistic and believable, honestly, in what it was going for, but still incorporate that, it's fantastically Lovecraft. Like that that's what I really come away with is this succeeded in mm. completely in yes. being very, very Lovecraft. I, I was saying to you guys, you know, um off mic that right before this I got through playing the game Canarium which is a video game based on the Lovecraft story, Mountains of Madness, which is my favorite story. I was very critical of that experience, but it got it right. Going from one experience of getting Lovecraft right to another is really, really new and refreshing because they they really did. Atticus was a great character. I saw the same things you did. And the most important Mm -hmm. thing for me was that it it was Lovecraft. Like it really was good Lovecraft storytelling. In an interview, actually, I was I was just reading on Matt Ruff, and I guess it's a, a conversation with Matt Ruff. It reads sort of like an interview, and there's like some questions. And in one section, he talks about his personal feelings about H.P. Lovecraft, and he goes like, "All of Lovecraft's worst traits are on display in the story." And and I watching the first episode and and moving into the second, I immediately saw how he you know really shows the the standard racist worldview throughout the even just just the first episode. But he's he Matt Ruff says like. He wishes that H.P. Lovecraft were, were a better person, but we can still learn from him as an author. So I found that to be fascinating. And, and, and let's I'm, let's dig into that because that's mm-hmm. a, if you're a person of color and you like mm-hmm. H.P. Lovecraft, there comes a point where you just have to face the elephant in the room. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's that a lot of his works, you know, he, he mm-hmm. has a cat. I won't say the name here while we're talking, but the cat's name is. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's inward cat. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about an author here who, yes, as he evolved as a person, a lot of his worst qualities came out in his work, not just towards people of color, but towards people, towards anyone who wasn't a typical white American. Right. He had a lot of disdain for them. And he had, he had a lot of closeted misogyny as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that came out in his work. Towards the end of his career, his writings did start to reflect that he was coming to realize that his views were a symptom of something else, that he didn't really hold the disdain for these different people that he thought the life that he had led, his sheltered existence in, indoors, reading books, meeting few people like that. It's complicated. It's so right. complicated liking an author who who has a history like that. And I feel like as people of color, when you when you enjoy science fiction or when you enjoy one of these genres that typically was made by one type of person you always run against this and you always have to think about it when you watch and you consume their work it's it's interesting that that's how he thought but i just wanted to add that in i feel like that too kenny that's a great point that you're making i was wondering how how do you guys feel about george freeman the uncle and his character it seems as if with fresh eyes for myself coming to the (laughs) whole thing i was like so it seems as if uncle dad and tick all have literary you know have this background of just of just of literary just devouring books right and just getting into they've got the count of monte cristo that comes up early you know later on in the episode they've got all the the, yeah 
all of the oh, all yes. of the books. I love that. <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you ate that stuff up. Didn't you? <laughs> she was ready. I, she I re- did. <laughs> they were dropping so many casual literary references. Casual. Oh my god! It was. Yeah. It was an overload. It was an overload for me. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. Yes, but can I say? I just love George, especially Courtney Vance as George. Yes. I had a moment, I was watching the show, and one of the things I noticed was Courtney Vance, I don't really see him in anything other than Black shows and films. I don't know if there's any other genre that Courtney Vance or any other character that he plays, and he's just always this quintessential Black African-American father, father, his male figure, and I just he just commands respect. I love him in that role, so that was cool. Great, ca- great casting on that one. Yes, great casting. Sean, you have anything to add? It's hard to say. I- I'm kind of enjoying listening to everybody else's perspective right now because I don't have a lot of background with Lovecraft and you know, I, I can't speak with the same life experiences as everybody else, but mm-hmm. I, I, I do have what I do have is a literary background. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am, you know, I've read a lot. I recognized, you know, the books that were in in the show as well. What I love here, I think, is the character development yeah. in this single episode. I mean, a lot of series can take one, two, three episodes to really start developing characters to the point where you're kind of hooked in, where you're like, oh, okay, now I'm really kind of invested in Atticus or I'm invested in Letty. But I think I was invested with them probably about 15 minutes into the episode when everything started to kind of coalesce. I found myself very invested. So to me, speaking a little bit about the character development uh, on this series has been phenomenal. The writing is phenomenal. Yeah, Um, definitely. I'd say I wanted to ask a question. I had a question a little earlier, and I, so I might be circling back on something. But, but Kenny, you mentioned earlier that in the Lovecraft, I'll call it the Lovecraft universe for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. you mentioned. I, I, don't, I don't want to be that guy. Let me adjust my glasses. Uh, the Lovecraft mythos? <laughs> no, well, no. Mythos is sir, the term. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and this is the reason I'm asking because, like I said, my Lovecraft, my experience with Lovecraft is, is very much based through the filter of other authors. I mentioned mm-hmm. Stephen King as an example. Sure. That's how it's been filtered through to me. I've not read a lot of Lovecraft. I think I'd like to now, but I haven't in the past. But you mentioned that characters know not to go to certain places. So what it sounds like is there's a continuity, sort of a universe of Lovecraft, a continuity between, you know, amongst all the stories across, you know, all the different novels that take place in these different locations that they build on each other so that over time these things happen i assume there's sort of a fictional time frame if you like will or, or a timeline if you oh. will on these and i'm just curious if that is indeed the case and what y'all think it might how it might come into play in this series oh boy okay let me let me vet myself i can't spend <laughs> sorry the whole podcast I, I know i just that question i just i went All deep right. there sorry let me parse this <laughs> my answer down to be reasonable so um yes in the same way that a character like batman Okay, has a a mythos that exists above all individual stories told about him. Joker fell into a vat of chemicals. That's how he became the Joker. It doesn't really matter what story he's in or what his quote unquote scheme today is. You know, that's where the Joker came from. That's a part of the mythos in the same way that Arkham Asylum is. And for Lovecraft, that's the case. But but it's a bit more complicated than that. Uh, the only thing that connects Lovecraft's uh, uh, stories are people and places. Um, themes are kind of loose. They tend not to connect in that way. Most of the time, because he was releasing these and putting them in penny dreadfuls here and there or cereal mm. here and there, you know, he was, he was kind of parsing the, these things out, honestly, to eat. And, and so he didn't really have this big overarching plan. But what's beautiful about his work 
is that other authors and people he considered peers would borrow the characters. The most mm. favorite being the King in Yellow, Haster. Um, that's a very famous, you know, science fiction horror story that could be said to take place in the Lovecraft mythos, written by another author. And it's borrowing Lovecraft's character. And so the mythos is very open. Some people dislike that because it's led to things like the daughter of Cthulhu, which a lot of people have a controversial opinions on that being a thing, but it has as much of a right to exist as anything else because Lovecraft made his mythos open-ended. And as long as you remember that, you're pretty much good to tell your story within reason. So yes, basically from what I've seen of Lovecraft Country so far, it could absolutely exist in Lovecraft's mythos. There's, there's mm. zero reason it could not have happened exactly the way it is. And the coolest thing about what they've done here, I, I, I mentioned this to one of our people in chat, is that uh, the series is taking place in the 30s. Because it's doing that, it's getting to deal with a lot of his stories are still coming out and they're still new. And that makes it so people believing that this stuff could be real that resonates because maybe they would have, maybe they would have. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no internet, you know, this guy, you mean the fifties, right? right? Right. Right. Sorry. Okay, yeah. So uh, a lot of the stories had already come out, but a lot of them were still sort of just making their way to circulation for gotcha. everyone to really get a hold of. And so since that was the case and there's no way to check online if this stuff is real or not, right. You know, the, and this, there's this guy writing stories about monsters in the world. I don't know. Maybe that stuff's out there. So it, yes, absolutely. Let's I think hope the not. Series, let's hope not. <laughs> but I, I think the series absolutely complete sense in Lovecraft's world, and um, it uses everything would have needed to to make that happen. Going back to you, you mentioned the Arkham, the name Arkham. When I heard that, I thought about the Batman series. Is that part of the Lovecraft mythos? Is that what we're talking? Is that what you're saying? What's fantastic is that is a question as old as time. And <laughs> <laughs> while there is no clear answer, yes and no. At wow. the same time. At the same time. <laughs> open to interpretation. Yes, yes, okay. No. Yes, okay. No. But funny you picked up on that, Ashley. Yeah. I was I, yeah. I I was wondering why the change from Arkham to Artem. Um and so I just kept wondering that throughout that the too. I still didn't get an answer, but we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm, maybe something will come out later. Mm-hmm. Can, can I say this since we're since we mentioned actors a second ago? Sure. I, I'm so glad to see Michael Kenneth Williams. Uh, yes. Oh my gosh! I, as someone who who still loves The Wire and who yes. thinks mm-hmm. that that show mm-hmm. deserves more modern attention than it gets, yeah, I'm I so agree. glad to see him back. And uh, he popped up very quickly, but he was memorable for the brief time. And the, the, back to something you said a little while ago. Love Uncle George. He's he's oh yes. <laughs> love Uncle George. The one the cool thing about watching this as a person of color is that lots of these characters look like family members of mine. They um, yeah I yeah. Oh, can we talk about man Letitia and her sister and that dynamic? Please do. Yes, that was very interesting to see play out on screen. The contrast between her and her sister and like in the moment when she's coming up into the, you know, she's entering the block party scene and her sister is playing guitar and you don't realize that they're sisters yet, or I didn't at the, at the moment. Mm-hmm. And you can automatically feel like I, being, being light skinned myself and knowing about light skin privilege and colorism, it was automatic. The dynamic between the darker sister and the lighter sister and like that particular thing stood out. But then when they started to interact I feel like there's there's some interesting history for Letitia. Like we're gonna find out about who her parents are, and 
you know, why she didn't go to her mom's funeral, things like that. Right. So I think she's the, she's she, for a, you know, lack of a better term, the black sheep of the family. Yeah. Cause not only mm-hmm. was the conflict come from the sister, but also the brother, you know, mm-hmm. when she went to his house and it's like, she can't win. So who knows what that story will be? Well, I'm sure we will unfold a lot more about her past. I love which the will big musical number. Yes. I got Chicago vibes from that. I enjoyed it a lot. I, that's when I really started to notice the costumes or I don't, I don't know their actual period clothing was it's, really it's, gorgeous. Right. It, and, it's mm-hmm. so good. With that. It's so good. Yeah. Can I, can I make a confession as a grown man who likes Downton Abbey? Oh, uh, my you're with the right Wait, people. Oh, same, <laughs> same. Kenny, you found your tribe. There we go. Yes, I, I, I have seen it. I have seen all of it. So let, let yes. that just be known. Yes, we have to. Um, all, all of us. I, 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 I appreciated very much the wardrobe. I pre, you know, I've been like this. I think a, a, the, the mark of a piece on TV is that it looks convincing without looking like a parody of the time it's from. And Ooh, with this, no, you good. feel right. like you, you're living in the time period because to them, it would have looked normal. They, they wouldn't have batted an eye at any of the appliances or anything like that or the cars. And, and you know, when you present those things with a sepia filter on it, mm-hmm. you, you're just kind of making a, a, oh, look, it's the 70s. Oh, it's so mm-hmm. bright. And it's, it's, it's like a coffee filters on everything. Remember how brown everything? It's like, no, it wasn't like that if you were there. Well, and that, I, I love I love that about this. It, it feels very, very real. That's interesting you say that, Kenny. And I actually was just thinking of something that relates directly to that. And that is, you know, to your point about, you know, sepia tone filter, a lot of the clothes, some of the clothes were very colorful, but I've noticed mm-hmm. in a lot of these characters, most of them are f- somewhat muted, but like Letitia, she's wearing a lot of red, a lot of very a bright lot. colors. Right, right. Like blips. it almost, it almost, yeah, like red blips. Like she stands mm-hmm. out in a scene because of the clothing she's wearing. Now, I mean, of course she's, she's young. She's thin. She's good looking. It's the 1950s. She's going to wear probably more colorful stuff than other characters, but she, it seems like everybody else is sort of a little washed out in a way. I mean, Atticus mm-hmm. wears white shirts and dark pants, or he's wearing a yellow shirt. Uh, Uncle George is wearing kind of a blah, drab, regular yeah. sh- a drab suit. She's mm-hmm. wearing bright whites and reds and, and even blacks, like, but just with like outlining. So like on her shorts. So she always stands out. And I'm just wondering if, I'm overthinking the fact that her wardrobe is part of the character standing out or it's just who the character is. is. Well, to me, I feel like, is this the Jordan Peele part of it? Because if you look at some of his films, I mean, Mm. it's about don't to me, I see color like, you know, the colorful it's even the blood is even extra red. You know, when when they were in that cabin in the woods that night and the officer was ripped from limb to limb that blood splashed onto them that vibrant color was just it's just the the use of color that they did and i feel like is that the jordan peele part of it is that a where is this coming from i don't that could be the jj abrams part of it because you know he likes to do layers yeah he he likes to do layers and and there's a couple things i'll allude to i noticed that are very subtle i don't know if they mean anything but little background things that i noticed for example i don't know if anybody noticed in simmonsville uh there was a little sign for a, a store called kresge's I don't know if anybody knows that. K-R-E-S-G-E apostrophe S. Okay. In the scene where they're about to walk into the diner, they walk next to a store called Kresge's. Kresge's Mm -hmm. was the precursor to Kmart. 
That's what the K stands for in Kmart. Oh. Is Kresge's. I don't know if oh, everybody wow. would catch that, but if you watch Stephen King movies, you read Stephen King books, there's so many layers. J.J. Abrams does that, like with Lost and so many other shows. Okay. There's layers, things you notice, like if you go back and rewatch it two or three times, you pick up pick on things up. you didn't oh. pick on. Now, I don't know wow. if that specific example means anything. It could just be something did for historical accuracy. I don't know. But I feel like there's a lot of layers. But And I apologize. I, to switch over a little bit, and it goes to this as well, because of J.J. Abrams, I feel like I noticed that using the example of the blood splattering. So when the cops were attacked and their blood splattered, it was red, of course, but it felt like sort of a muted red, like an yeah. arterial red. But when it splashed on our main characters, it, it felt bright that's red. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so maybe, I'm sorry, maybe you did mean it that no, way. No, no, but I didn't you're, saying it exact, you're saying the way I should have said it. <laughs> yeah. So I just, it seemed like all of a sudden it was brighter on it's them. Brighter, like yeah. it was more real. It was more there than when the cops were actually getting torn literally limb from limb. Right. And so I don't know if that was meant on purpose. Absolutely. If that sure. was just lighting of the scene or if that's meant to be indicative of something deeper that we'll get into as we progress through the series. I'm inclined to think it's the latter, knowing the folks who are behind this series, but that's just my two cents. Interesting. Wow. I I think it's symbolism. And I I, I paid attention early on thinking, is this going to be the type of show? And I think the answer is yes. Is this (laughs) show that rewards it, uh, rewards noticing it's foreshadowing to different things. Mm Mm-hmm. But there, there's a point early on where, where, where Tick mentions uh, Shogoth, uh, mm. and he mentions it really passively. And I cheered when that happened because I mentioned it before, uh, Mountains of Madness, my favorite Lovecraft story. What's the main monster in that? A, a Shogoth. Shogoth. That's exactly, yeah. it's the main thing. So they, they've definitely got their references down. I didn't pick up on the, the Kmart reference, but they're, they're leaving for a Lovecraft fan, for someone who really knows their, their um, Shogoth from their deep ones. Let's put it like that. I think they knew that there's going to be some, I mean, this is HBO, right? I mean, they knew some eyes are going to be on there and they were going to do this. They, they had to they do must it right. Have, but I, I have to tell you, it's so easy to not do Lovecraft right. And there are things in this series that they did that aren't very Lovecraft that I know they had to do. You guys were just talking about the cops being ripped limb from limb. You know, the act of monsters killing people and ripping them up is pretty inherently not Lovecraft. That's not really how those stories go. Lovecraft is more about the dread and the existential, you know, the the existential dread of not only are you right, not only are you not alone in the universe, but the universe cares so little about you that Mm -hmm. you are an accident of much more powerful cosmic (laughs) Thank you for explaining this. That's very Lovecraftian, yes. Right. It's like the the history of the planet, and I assume Uh Lovecraft country is adhering to this because it's getting into cults. And they they really dug deep. These guys know their Lovecraft. So I have reason to believe all of this stuff is relevant to the series. But in Lovecraft, humanity is is literally an accident, a (laughs) byproduct of an alien race playing around with genetics to build a dumber race, to help them build another alien race. And all of this was on Earth millions of years before we were even a thought. And only, only within the last couple thousand years, you know, after they've been retreated underground or went deep into the ocean, that, you know, their day has come and gone, do we pop up and start crawling around with our little cities and our ambitions and our Atticuses and our Georges? And so I, I have full reason to believe all that stuff will play in. And it's it's really, really cool. So they're they're doing the references in a really interesting way. It's cool to hear that they're leaving a lot of other references too. 
but I'm just going to say this right now at this point. If you like Lovecraft, if you really love Lovecraft deep and you know the stories and all that stuff, right? You should watch this. Mm. You, you just should. You really should watch this. They know their Lovecraft. They're leaving the right references in the right places. There are moments that veer away from what I would consider Lovecraftian themes, but that's okay. Because on the whole, I think they nailed it from okay. what I've seen. That's great. That's I, I'm glad you said that. Just like that. Yes, I think this is exactly what listeners are going to want to hear. They're going to say, "Let me see if this is worth my time." Right. Especially lovers of Lovecraft. Lovecraft mm-hmm. TV does not get much better than this. I, I right. can't think of a single other TV or because I, I try to find Lovecraft movies whenever I can. They normally are low budget. They're made by indie directors by the very nature of the type of films that they are. That reminds um, me a bit of Op- Octavia Butler and how hard it is to find. I mean, I don't think there's any good movies that are made based on Octavia Butler and her. She's a black science fiction author. So mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. It's it unfortunate. is. It is. Yeah. Claude Barker, I guess you could say the same thing. I mean, uh, you know, he's a pretty accomplished sci-fi writer too, but I don't think there are many. I think there's Jericho. I think that's a movie. But um, I mean, he because he was considered the the next coming of Lovecraft. A lot of people would say it's pretty controversial, but people mm. used to say that about Clive Barker. And I don't think he has many films either. I don't know what that's about. Mm. Hey, Ashley, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the James Baldwin narration. Oh, I think as soon as I heard, James, I'm a big James Baldwin fan. Um, and as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, oh, it's James Baldwin. And I started to really listen more carefully when they were writing um, into uh, the nearest gas yes yeah, Simmonsville or Midwest and gas, mid, right the nearest gas station and uh, he narrates us through uh, the point where they're they're stopping at the gas station they're harassed by these young white teenagers and I think in general James Baldwin offers a great narration for the black experience in white supremacist America mm-hmm. it gives us a really great way to understand a lot in a little bit of, of space in terms of that that moment in the show. And so, yeah, that, that definitely stood out to me. And I was glad to see the connections between what we know to be true about the United States and, and facing racism, and that is extremely real and terrifying. And it's probably the scariest thing besides all of the science fictional, you know, all the monsters and everything that come out at night. That's actually the real terror is white supremacy in the United States. And it's still a very real terror even now. Um, what's, so that, that was, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm just, I, no. I want to want to agree with you because mm-hmm. you're so, not only are you, you hitting on the theme of this show, you're hitting on the theme of Lovecraft. Whether right. you admit to or not, people are the real monsters. Right. Right. And that's what it always comes back to. Mm-hmm. I agree. I was going to say something very similar to that. So, Kenny, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. Oh, head. man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. You probably said it more eloquently than I could. I had to watch that <clears throat> scene three times because I was like, I want to watch it, and then I want to listen to it, and then I need to do it, watch it again to take it all in, you know? Yes. All the yes, words yes. I wanted to hear. It was almost like there was so much to take in that I just needed to. And then Sean went, we did a little bit of research. And, and that was apparently the Baldwin Buckley debate of 1965 is where that specific Thank quote you. came Thank from. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, yes. okay, all right. Yeah. Yes. 1965. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, deba- he debated William F. Buckley, who was a famous conservative. He Very debated famous. Him, debated him at a university. I don't, that one, unfortunately, it slips my mind. Ashley might know, but that wasn't, 
1965, but uh, yes. I just loved, I, mean, I love listening to his voice, but the, obviously the words and the content of what he was saying are so absolutely true. And I think that narrative really set the tone for the sundown town experience absolutely. they were about to experience in both Simmonsville, which wasn't really sundown. That was just being chased out, like unfortunately has happened to millions uh, of uh, African-Americans over the years. But then obviously in Devon County with the sheriff and what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's... Uh, that oh, was... Devon County Sheriff. He was oh. terrifying. Oh, Lord. My I, goodness. I, I want to I touch on that. Um, please. <laughs> yes, please. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. The uncomfortable thing about watching those scenes was how real they are. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I, uh, my day job has me driving around and doing salesman work all over NC. And oh. unfortunately, that takes me to some very colorful places where <laughs> you very clearly just aren't welcome as a person of color. I mean, it's it's one of those things. And I had this thought while I was watching it. There are going to be people, unfortunately, who haven't lived any type of experience, anything like this. And I see it all the time. They're going to question why an experience like this needs to be portrayed at all. You know, oh, it's not like this anymore. Why do we, why do we really need to see and hear them say these things? But guys, there are places still like this. Mm-hmm. I visit places still like this. Um, do you get chased out of town by a mob with shotguns? No, but you get weird looks when you go into convenience stores. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's less kind than that. Sometimes you pull up to people's homes and the neighbors are very quick to want to know who you are, what you're doing there, and quick to tell you why you should leave. You know, so there, there are just places that are still like this. And it's it's so cool that they managed. It's a it's a little depressing that this was so long ago, but hmm. they nailed that because when they were in the diner, that felt real. Like when they went in and they sat down, I went, no, 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 mm-hmm. you can't. You can't do this. It's like, I know where you're, right. where you're you know coming what's happened, from. What's but happen. That diner moment, that to me felt like a Jordan Peele moment. It did. It, it must that, have been. That yes. was the sunken place of the show in the terms of like. Right. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> know how I knew? you know how I knew it must have been a Jordan Peele is is when they they looked through the crack and saw the bus yes, boy on, that's on the phone. Exactly, that's exactly it. And the comments about why did they paint the White House white? Yes. That was straight, yeah, Jordan Peele exactly. right there, and I love that scene. That that man is a genius. He yes. When they walked, well, when they walked in, and the white man turned over his shoulder, and they had this moment of like, okay, mm-hmm. and he was like, yeah. so y'all y'all finna sit down, like, what what are y'all doing? And it was just very much like, um, like we'll seat ourselves, yeah. Yeah. right? The moment spoke for itself, um, and that that was definitely it had Jordan Peele all over it. And again, I just want to I want to say this as someone who's who who has lived himself experiences um, mm-hmm. darn near identical, um, mm-hmm. barring the use of deadly weapons. I have within the last two years went into a restaurant and sat down, and, and multiple people in it, all elderly couples, made it very clear they were uncomfortable with me being there, which was very surprising in in like 2018. Wow. Felt kind of archaic, but the point is for for anyone. Oh, that's that's inaccurate, or I don't know why we have to have this in TV today, or oh, that's pandering, or oh, that's virtue signaling. It's nope, it's real. It's Absolutely, a representation 100%. of my real life. It's 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 very real, and it, I'm glad to see it in a show like this. It grounds it for me. No, no, I think that was what very well said, and 100 percent agreed. I'm thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I worried about that. I really did. I worried about that. One one thing I don't want to forget to mention about this first episode of Lovecraft Country was I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. And so 
Me too. When, yes. So when they were in the safe house and there were all of these, like they had the red door and then there were all these vampire references. I mean, I was completely tuned in to that. And I thought that was cool that, you know, when you get bitten by one of these monsters, you become one. And then connecting that with racism and <laughs> it, it was a lot in that moment. So I just wanted to make sure I, I mentioned that. Yeah, that, that goes back to all these awesome casual references to the casual. Novels. Yeah, exactly. Yes. They're just like, oh, by the way, uh, what happens when you get bit by a drag by a vampire? <laughs> well, as it was said, Grand Pope Dracula, page thirty-nine. We have to. <laughs> I they don't hit you over the head with the exposition, but it's there. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Like you can tell, so cool. these guys are nerds. They are book nerds, and they yes. read a lot of things, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Can we? Okay, can we talk about something lighter, like the choice of? Well, a little lighter and a little more, uh, you know silly i not silly but we certainly can we talk about something a little lighter the music choice <laughs> yeah and the Ooh, and, yeah and the fact that they're bringing in and we're just going to talk about episode one because there's some um nuggets in our you know next episodes that we'll get into mm-hmm. but episode one just that switch it's from you know 1950s to a little bit of modern music i, I like the music direction um i am a fan of there's a term for it but it escapes me i'm a fan of when period pieces use music not from the period to sort of punctuate something going on in the period and i I know they did a little bit of both Mm -hmm. there's a there's a wonderful thing about these high quality hbo you know streaming series is that their music budgets must be huge because they yes really well-known songs that fit really well so i thought it was fantastic I thought the mix of music was great. Yeah, I liked it too. Definitely. Ashley and Sean, any thoughts? I'm just wondering if maybe, and I don't know whose stamp that would be, but I, to me, putting in a very modern music in a very historical setting, it's meant to jar you. It's sort of meant to kind of poke you a little bit, like with a sharp stick and prod you and be like, you know, keep up, like make sure you don't get complacent, like. You've got to keep your eye on what's going on here. And I think if you think about all the layers that go into a show like this, and like I said, I keep going back to this, but given the folks who are putting making this show and, and how they're historically known for having a lot of layers to their, their work, is punctuating that with this music like that, it's really just kind of poking you in the back with a stick and saying, sit up, take notice. Don't get complacent. Mm-hmm. We, we, there's a lot of things you got to keep your eye on. Don't just kind of get lulled into this. And I feel like that's the tool that I see them using is trying mm-hmm. to keep the audience, making sure they're keeping them not only engaged, but just throwing them off their game a little bit so that they're constantly trying to to stay on top of what's going on. Again, just my perspective. Yeah, music makes me question a lot of various things. And and I think in this particular show, when I heard the music switch into a more modern day genre, immediately started to question like, okay, what does that particular song mean here in this, in this moment of the show? And then also thinking forward about, okay, now I see what kind of show this is going to be like, this is cool. Like, all right, I'm going to really, really dig this show because it's, it's connecting with me as a 21st century viewer but I'm also being taken back to a time to when like my people were oppressed and like what that means in this moment in history. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's really bringing the, the past back into the present, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, um, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I want to kind of delve into this question. What do 
all of you think about the relationship with Tick and his father. Oh, wow. How do you feel about that? When I started watching the show, I started to think about all of the recent uptick in Black Lives Matter movement and all of the recent Black deaths that have happened in our country and everything that we've all been focusing on and what's being brought to our attention right Mm -hmm, now. mm -hmm. And Beyonce just came out with Black is King, and I thought it was fantastic, artistic, extremely unapologetically Black. And one thing that I don't know a lot of folks noticed about Black is King was that she does tell the story of the Lion King in a roundabout way, but she forces in, in the throughout the sort of retelling of it, forces us to look back so that we can look forward and really look within ourselves. And so when it comes to, when I started watching Lovecraft Country and seeing the relationship between dad and Tick, I thought about that same dynamic of as African-American people, as Black people in this country, we are constantly being forced to look at the past in order to move forward and then to also look inward at who we are as a people. And when he he looks at this relationship with his dad and and the family dynamics are starting to come out, Mm -hmm. you can see how his past really impacts his decision-making, his decision to go to war in Korea, his relationship with his dad and how his dad never wrote to him. And those conversations taking place just made me, it really resonated with me and how as a people, we have to look back in order to move forward. Absolutely. Okay. Hmm. I think he. Um, any other thoughts on his dad on on like maybe the journey that he's facing? Do you feel like he's angry at his father? Do you feel like he's? I think he scared for him. I, I mean, what's his? I think he I, is. I think he's angry. There's that scene mm-hmm. where I think they they kind of set that tone in the first episode where George and Atticus are talking, and they're talking about. Atticus's father, who's George's younger brother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're talking within the context of hearing Letty and her brother having a really vocal argument, screaming match in their house, and they're standing outside. They bring up the subject of Atticus' father, uh, Montrose. And basically, George was saying, well, Montrose was the younger brother. He was smaller. He took the brunt of it. I wish I had been there to protect him. I regret that. And so then you kind of understand why Montrose was more of the abused, I guess, of the two of them in in the household they grew up in. He took the brunt of the abuse. It sounds like he turned around and then Atticus then took the brunt of that abuse as that kind of that cycle continued. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't gotten far enough yet to see that character yet Montrose and see that engagement between Atticus and his father. But I think that Mm. that sets a good tone about, you know, the father and son relationships and the difficulties that can have. And he basically established when he was talking to the other woman, when he were walking down the road that he left because of his father. And ironically enough, that's why he's coming back because he's gone (laughs) missing. So we're setting a lot of, of exposition here about what's going on with his dad, but also setting the fact that they've had a very strained and difficult relationship to the point where Atticus left for a number of years and only came back with something very serious happened. It'll be interesting to see how, now that we've set that foundation very clearly, where we go from here with those characters in that relationship. Mm. So first of all, Jonathan Majors is amazing. He did a fantastic job as Atticus from from what I've seen. I think this is going to be a breakout performance for him. Yes. Um, I, I really yes. do. But as as someone who only within the last maybe three years or so has has gotten to the point where where me and and my old man are, are good. You know, we have a, a good positive relationship. I see a lot of myself and Atticus, and I, I assume that a lot of men of color would see themselves in him as well. Even down to the relationship with the father, because you know, a man's 
relationship with his father is usually pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. And just like you might expect in the black community, not that I speak for the, the entire experience, but from what I see, it comes with, you know, its own idiosyncrasies and, and this, that, and the other based on the mm-hmm. type of role model that you had. And I'm trying to be delicate in how I say this, but as, as someone who came from a, uh, an experience that was also kind of rough, you know, a broken home pretty early, I feel like it's a lot of everything for Atticus. And I, I really resonate with how complicated, and it's why I say this is going to be a breakout role for Jonathan Majors, guys, because he can act with his face. Like, mm-hmm. he yes. is so, so good with so his good. facial expressions. Yeah. I know I watched ahead. Oh my God, he's really, he's really good, good with his facial expressions. <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's crazy. Like, he, the man can act. He can yeah. act. And you can read on his face sometimes the, the anger, the love, mm-hmm. the fear. I mean, because it's entirely possible to love your father. Mm-hmm. And want the best for him while still being furious. Furious, yeah, exactly. At him while harboring anger, hatred, love—all of these things can be part of your emotions for this person. And at any moment, an interaction with them or an experience with them can throw you in one hard direction. If you find mm. out they're sick, oh, they're in the hospital. Well, then you're empathetic. Mm-hmm. You're so sad. You love them. And, but but then maybe while you're there, they do something that reminds you of the things that you went through together or whatever it is, and they ignite that flame and you're angry again. And I, I feel like they've done such a good job giving him, one, or a relatable conflict in that relationship, but two, in casting the person to portray it because this guy really knows how to go through a struggle with his facial acting. I think that's going to be key to a story like this because think of some of the things he has to react to you know yeah and um i think he's the perfect person to do it but a lot of interesting stuff with the dad bravo on that on 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 his acting yeah. abilities absolutely come on he's Jonathan. fantastic is there anything else you guys wanted to discuss on chap on chapter one it's chapter one guys episode <laughs> one before we wrap it up sean um, no, I, I think I think we've kind of hit on those uh, salient points. I think to mm-hmm. to what Kenny just said. I'm, I also struggled a bit in my relationship with my father, so mm. I can definitely relate to those things. Or sometimes they make you so angry, and they just you know and just make you want to scream. But then they do yeah. one thing, and you just love them so much yeah. and with, <laughs> with so with like down to your deepest part of your right. soul and you're right. like how can one person do this to me and exactly. like at the same time yeah. so, so i absolutely i think we all probably but can as, relate with parents and as, pa- as parents ourselves you know you can start to feel too like the gravity of the situation of just being a parent and what that for the two of us it right. it's 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 a lot, you know. That's a yeah. lot to carry on your shoulders too. But I love this. I'm, I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out through throughout the series. And, yeah, um, I, I'm excited to get to know Letitia more and, and that character. So I'm going to be watching her closely and learning her her story and awesome. watching yeah. her character development. Mm-hmm. And I love she's Journey Smollett. Cool. I think she's Me a fabulous too. actress as well. So yes. shout out to her. And I, you know, I live for <laughs> that hair. She's no stranger to to black horror films. It, it reminded me of when she played in what movie was that? Oh gosh, uh, help me out. Yep. The one with uh, is set in New Orleans. Oh, I know exactly uh, what you're uh, talking about. Oh Blue gosh, Brothers? I can't remember. You the name. say that and the name escapes yep. me. I know. I hate that. <laughs> Blues Brothers. 
Oh no, man, it was a great black horror film. <sighs> Eve's Bayou. Eve's Bayou. Oh, there we right, go. There right, we go. Right, right. She was young in that one. Oh, yeah, that was, was baby. That was ninety-seven. She was a baby. Yeah, but 19, she still got it. She still got it. 1997. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was also in True Blood. She's been on a lot of stuff. But she anyway. has. Yeah. Anyway, before we go go off on our favorite shows. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I think that we have. Can you have anything else to wrap up with episode one? No, I think okay. it's great. Uh, I said it earlier. I'll say it here one more time. If you're a big fan of Lovecraft, if you're a really deep diver in Lovecraft, you've always loved it. This is a great show. Awesome. This is a great show. You should absolutely check it out. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Ashley. And I'm Aisha with Pod Clubhouse, and we will see you again for episode two. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.